Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. Today we're here with a New York Times best-selling author, also known as the Paleo Mom, Dr. Sarah Valentine. From a scientist's perspective, you're about to learn how the foods we eat interact with our gut barriers, immune systems, and hormones to influence our health. Before we get there, here's one last reminder. Our online community, the Fat-Burning Tribe, is having a meetup in Austin, Texas this weekend. So if you're a tribe member, come meet us at our first ever Real World Party. I can't wait to see you there. If you're not a tribe member yet, here's what you're missing aside from an epic party. Our exclusive, super supportive Facebook group, Q&A videos where Allison and I answer your questions And most importantly, you'll never have to worry about what you're cooking for dinner again. Our new 30-day wild meal plans in the Fat-Burning Tribe are ready, and they include waffles with scrambled eggs and bacon, wild buffalo wings, and even mini cheesecakes. Right now, you can join us for a discount and get your wild meal plans at fatburningtribe.com. Once again, from any device, just type in fatburningtribe.com to join us. All right, on to the show with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. You're about to learn how Dr. Sarah lost 120 pounds by focusing on nutrition, why eating paleo-ish is backed by cutting-edge nutritional research, how to cook for a busy family without losing your mind, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with the doc. This episode is brought to you by Wild Superfoods. Let's start with a quick question. Do health supplements really work? After testing many hundreds of tonics, supplements, powders, and potions over the past seven plus years, my wife Allison and I have found very few companies that we actually trust. Massive, faceless corporations seem to be running the show, often prioritizing profits well above our collective health. Many supplements in stores and online are of extremely low quality, are ridiculously overpriced, and some don't even contain the active ingredient they're supposed to be selling. We all deserve much better. That's why my wife Allison and I created Wild Superfoods. We're a small family business and we take our own products daily because we think they're the best out there. Our Ultimate Daily Bundle provides you with a complete supplement regimen that you can trust to deliver maximum health benefits without the guesswork. Whether you're looking for Mega Omegas, Vitamin D Stack, Probiotic Spheres, or Future Greens, our cutting-edge supplements have you covered. And as a listener of Fat-Burning Man, you can save over $80 on a one-time purchase or save over $128 when you select Subscribe and Save. All you have to do is head on over to wildsuperfoods.com. You can type it into your address bar right now to order your very own health-boosting goodies for a rocking listener discount for a limited time. And as always, if you don't love any of our products from Wild Superfoods, then you get your money back. So one more time, all you have to do to check it out is visit wildsuperfoods.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you there. All right, folks, Sarah Ballantyne, PhD, is the creator of the award-winning online resource, thepaleomom.com, co-host of the syndicated top-rated The Paleo View podcast, and New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach, The Paleo Approach Cookbook, and The Healing Kitchen. Just so you guys know, Dr. Ballantyne is a certified smarty pants, earning her doctorate in medical biophysics at the age of 26. She went on to write, in my mind, the definitive book on paleo. It's a freaking textbook. Dr. Ballantyne, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. Like, how am I supposed to not be happy with that kind of introduction, right? <laughs> you're buttering me up for something. Well, I, you're awesome. And there aren't enough awesome people out there doing really compelling work that's backed by science. But I, I definitely get to get in, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll definitely get into that. But I want to talk to you first about where you kind of started from, because you've always struggled not just with your, your weight, but also your health leading yeah. up to this massive change in your nutrition that, that really changed your life. So let's talk about where you started. I mean, I started having health problems at seven years old. I had mono for six months in second grade. And from there, I just never had normal energy levels. I started struggling with my weight then, although I didn't start really putting on weight until I hit puberty. But I, I was just always that tired kid who would fall asleep 30 seconds into the drive in the car and have to be you know, shaken awake when, once we get there, if it was a five-minute drive. Right. And I, as I got older and nerdier, um, I also got less healthy. So I, by the time I was in my late teens, I was morbidly obese. Mm -hmm. um, but I also had terrible acne and really um, I had scalp psoriasis, really dry hair. My eyebrows were falling out. I was having, you know, really terrible hormonal symptoms. I was having uh, migraines. And it, as I progressed weirdly through my scientific education, I just started being able to add more diagnoses. Okay, well, now I have this autoimmune condition called lichen planus. And yeah. well, you know, now, oh, wait, is my thyroid not working? Okay, well, just chalk that one up to add that to the pile. Oh, adult onset asthma, so severe that I was apartment bound for three months because I was coughing up blood. Jeez. Okay, we'll add that one to the list. And I started developing weird allergies. I developed a topical allergy to cardboard. So if I touched cardboard, I'd get these giant red welts everywhere oh, where I had touched it. Acid reflux, uh, depression and anxiety. I mean, no wonder at that point, right? Sure. Tendinitis and carpal tunnel syndrome. And I used to say, like, thank goodness for modern medicine because I'd be dead 200 times without it. Yeah. And I wholeheartedly believed that it was, you know, my doctors and there was a number of times where I had life-saving interventions that, you know, were the reason why I was able to do this medical research career. And I kind of felt like, oh, I'm giving back to this medical community mm -hmm. by devoting my life to academics. And, you know, academics was also really what resonated with me. I really always wanted, from the time I was five or six years old, when someone would ask me what I want to do when I grow up, I would say, I want to make a difference. Yeah. And so, so this cool. was, this was what I was, I know it's like not the typical five-year-old, <laughs> then again, not the typical 39 year old anymore. So, <laughs> True. so I pursued a, a career in medical research. Um, I was a very high level researcher and mm -hmm. I was very, very sick and I was working 80 to hundred hour weeks routinely Wow. and in a very high stress, very competitive environment. Um, interestingly enough, studying the immune system, mm -hmm. studying what happens when the immune system goes haywire in critical care wards. I ended up migrating into some cancer biology um, and studying epithelial cell barriers. Mm -hmm. These are scientific concepts that are so relevant to the foundations of the paleo diet. And at the right. time, there was no nutritional piece to what I was studying. It was all pharmaceutical development. Right. So understanding the mechanisms, understanding the proteins, and then figuring out how to develop drugs to manipulate them to save lives. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating. And then I hit a wall. I got pregnant. I gestational diabetes when I was pregnant. I developed preeclampsia when I went into labor, had a 97 and a half hour labor, wow. which is not, not 
it's just not cool. Right. I like, <laughs> cool to remind my, I like to remind my now nine-year-old about sure. how not cool that was frequently. Right. 97 hours. Unbelievable. And I, I, I just crashed. I, you know, mm-hmm. I had this baby that didn't sleep. Uh, she was colicky. And I just realized I can't do both of these things. You know, yeah. I want to be the best mother in the world. And I want to have this really high power academic career. I can't do both at the same time. So fortunately for, um, for me, I knew about a program that the National Institutes of Health runs. It's called the Reentry Grants for Women, and it allows women to take time off of their academic careers once they've hit that uh, doctoral level of mm-hmm. research. For whatever reason, it's not just for motherhood, it's for whatever reason women take time off. You know, we take on a lot of these caregiving rules. We can take up to eight years off. So I said, okay, I am going to take this time off use this program to go back into academia in eight years. I'm going to have my kids and I'm going to get them to elementary school age and then go back to work. So that space of, okay, now I'm just doing this one really, really hard thing of being a mother mm-hmm. gave me the, what I needed in terms of time and lower stress level and just the ability to focus more on my own health. It gave me the opportunity to really sort out what was going on in my body. And it took about five years, I lost a lot of weight following a low carbohydrate diet, but got sicker and sicker and sicker as I got lighter and lighter and lighter. Yeah. So it took having to really dig deep and finally start taking this scientific background that I had and applying it to my own health and going, okay, I should be able to figure this out. There's yeah. got to be some kind of links. And I started looking at food sensitivities and whether mm-hmm. or not that could play a role and really sort of happened on some of... Um, Lauren Cordain's articles about the paleo diet that had a more scientific lean and went, okay, well, this sounds really intimidating yeah. <laughs> and hard, right? but this, the science really pulled me in. And so I decided to try it uh, four and a half years ago. And I just, okay, I'm going to get home from vacation on August 30th. I'm going to start this diet on August 31st. And mm-hmm. within two weeks, I was able to go off six prescription medications. Wow. And it was like revolutionary. And it was such a huge, like eye-opening experience for me that, oh my gosh, look at how powerful food is. And Mm -hmm. that became the beginning of my transformation from somebody who was taking time off of academic research Mm -hmm. to, to this whole other purpose that I've found, which is to take the academic research that other people are doing. That's amazing research and actually bringing that to the public. Right with, you know, descriptions of what that means that's not dumbing down the research, right? Giving the entire picture mm-hmm. and then also distilling it into what's actionable. How does that research actually inform our choices? What what does it tell us? What does it not tell us? What are the limitations of our knowledge? How do we incorporate this new, you know, piece of information into everything that we already know? Right. And that's something that I I feel very passionately about it sort of wraps in the concept of scientific literacy and public health education, but it also is something that I feel there aren't very many people doing, taking, being that bridge between academia and the everyday person. And really like there's so many tens of thousands of studies that inform us as to what the best food choices are, Mm -hmm. why it's important to sleep, why stress management is so critical, you know, why living in sync with the sun promotes better health, right? These things are phenomenally well understood scientific concepts. We understand this at the cellular molecular level. Mm -hmm. And yet that information is not 
brought to the public or it's yeah. it's brought in this very like oh you wouldn't understand this mm-hmm. so let me create an allergy an analogy that has to do with garbage trucks and lego right like it's just and i <laughs> welcome to I, the media <laughs> i want to say okay i'm going to take 5 minutes instead of 30 seconds mm-hmm. and actually explain this yeah and empower people with the education so that they can make the best choices for themselves within their own lives yeah and it's become to me then, I mean, this was the year. This was the year I had to go back to research if I was going to go back. And mm-hmm. I didn't because nice. in that period of time, when I figured out my own health, I also found this other purpose in life that's still hitting that desire as a five-year-old to make a difference in the world, yeah. but is, I think, a path that there's certainly, it's a certainly less, less trodden path. And it's, <laughs> I think, in many ways, much more challenging, yeah. but it's also exceptionally rewarding. And yeah. that's what brings me here to this blogger, author, resource creator, uh, health advocate type. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to call myself. Well, Sarah, Sarah. I think it suits you. I Thank really you. do. <laughs> and obviously, a lot of other people think the same way because what you do is is very unique. You often don't see people who are able to bridge that gap, like you said, between the actual research and coming to <laughs> looking at your plate and saying, well, this is what you eat because right. there's, there's a chasm between those things for most people, right? So well, how, how do you do it? That's a hard question. So I think that part of why I'm really good at bridging that gap is because of how thorough my scientific background is. Mm-hmm. So I have a bachelor's degree in physics and then I did my PhD in medical biophysics. And then I went into a cardiology lab for my first postdoctoral research fellowship and then a cell biology lab. And in that process, I had to go basically from a physicist to a biologist, yeah. which involved teaching myself a lot of things that I would have learned if I had done my bachelor's degree in microbiology or cellular biology or something that would have made a lot more sense Mm -hmm. for the research that I did at the end. So part of it was being that person. When I started my PhD, I was reading papers to understand the background behind the project that I was given. And I had to read those papers with a medical dictionary because I didn't understand the jargon. So part of it was that experience of really being hyper aware of what words are like, you could say leukocyte or you could say white blood cell. Mm-hmm. If I say white blood cell, people are going to be like, oh, okay. If I say leukocyte, people are going to be the what? Right. So part of it is really understanding like where you can use a word that's still an accurate, accurate word mm-hmm. and not lose the meaning, but suddenly make that language approachable. Right. And then part of it is that I have been very passionate about scientific literacy for, well, since I became aware that it was a thing in high school. And so I have volunteered in various different capacities, tutoring, doing sort of inspirational talks to young kids to encourage them, especially women, to encourage women in science, public speaking, volunteering in high school science classes. I mean, a, a huge, you know, judging science fairs, like a huge range of different roles in that time, but roles that are very much geared at making science more accessible to people. And so I can kind of draw on that experience. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think it just, it really matters to me. It really is important to me to be that bridge and to not dumb things down because I respect the public's intelligence. And Mm -hmm. I know that people want to understand this science and they're not given the opportunity. So I want to provide that opportunity. And, you know, certainly some people will, think that my writing's too technical and, and it won't resonate with them, but that's 
that's fine. They've got dump truck and Lego analogies written by other people to go to. <laughs> I want to bring that real science to people because I feel in my life, it's so motivating. Yeah. In my life, really understanding the detailed you know, cellular biology of what happens if I eat that food mm -hmm. versus make this other choice, that helps me make the better choice. Yeah. And so I want to provide that information for people. So I just, I think part of how I'm good at it is because I want desperately to be good at it. Yeah. It's just, that is what I feel I have to contribute to the world. I totally hear that. Uh, let's, let's take a step back because I think some people who are listening, uh, you're uniquely able to answer this from a personal perspective. You know, they might be thinking, I have a dry, itchy scalp or yeah. I feel a little bit run down or I might, you know, I just have acne. That's me or whatever. But what what you were able to show through your own personal transformation with food is that these things are actually linked to a systemic problem within your body, autoimmunity. So can you talk about the mechanisms of that and, and what you did to change how you were eating in order to come up with the results you had? Yeah. So the, the we are all, most of us are familiar with the immune system, right? We at least yeah. understand it as you get a cold, you get the flu, and it's your immune system to the rescue. So our immune system is incredibly complex. It involves cells and hormones and these sort of chemical messengers called cytokines. So it's a huge variety of chemicals and cells and how they interact with each other. It's it's probably the most complex system in our bodies, maybe short of the you know central nervous system, right? Sure. That's pretty complex too. Yeah, that one's pretty. And its job is to protect us. What it's typically protecting us from is some kind of foreign invader. So that foreign invader can be a bacteria, a virus, a parasite, dirt, mm -hmm. right? A sliver. It protects us from an open wound. So it's part of the healing. If you if you cut yourself, it's your immune system that is responsible for making sure that infection doesn't spread to your body and that it, you know, heals that wound and you end up maybe with a scar or maybe with none, depending on how bad it was, right? Right. So our immune system's job is pr to protect us. And part of how it does that job is it has a whole pile of different ways of recognizing that foreign invader. So like, aha, there's this flu virus, and now we have to attack this flu virus. And what happens in autoimmune disease is that our ability to know the difference between a foreign invader and our own body, we, we lose that. Yeah. And what's fascinating is there's this accident that happens in everybody's bodies and it's called autoantibody formation. So one of the ways that our immune systems use to recognize a foreign invader is antibodies and antibodies are an incredibly specialized protein. We make a few million different ones of them and each antibody recognizes a specific protein. So what you're looking for is an antibody that recognizes this protein in a bacterial cell wall and can say, aha, you're that bacteria that I mm -hmm. fought off two years ago. You're not getting me this time. I know how to, I know how to beat you. Right. So then what can happen is every once in a while we make an antibody by mistake that binds to a protein that's a natural protein for our bodies. So I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease. And my body is making antibodies against thyroglobulin. It's a protein that's involved in thyroid hormone production in my thyroid gland. Yeah. So that's an accident. Whoops. Right. I made an antibody against something that I shouldn't have done. Right. So, so literally, just to do a Lego analogy for a second, your body is <laughs> yeah. literally attacking your own thyroid. Right. Yes. That, that had nothing to do with Lego. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. So my immune system has basically decided that my thyroid 
is the same thing as a virus or a parasite, right? Mm -hmm. It's got to go. It's a bad thing and we got to get rid of it. But that an accident happens in everybody. And we have several different fail-safe mechanisms for knowing when we've made this accident. Whoops, made an antibody that recognizes me instead of a virus. Yeah. And we shut that down. So what happens in autoimmune disease is the fail-safes fail. So we have this accident and then we don't know that it's happened. Right. And then when you combine that with triggers of the immune system, so something that's going to turn on the immune system and get it really revved up, and that can come from a variety of sources. That can come from toxin exposure, hormones, uh, diet. It can come from lifestyle factors, not mm -hmm. getting enough sleep, being really, really stressed. Um, and people with autoimmune disease will start to hear these words that they go, oh, flare, oh, flare. Right. Oh, yeah, I get a flare when that happens. Yeah. But those can be, those are the start. And for me, I think the start was mono at seven mm. years old, right? Mm -hmm. Epstein-Barr actually is a very well understood trigger of autoimmune disease. Wow. So you kind of go, okay, so there's this thing that's gonna ramp up the immune system. I've made this accident, I've made this accidental antibody. Mm -hmm. I've lost the ability to understand that I did that by accident. Now I've got my immune system revved up to attack and what am I gonna attack? Well, this thing I've already decided is a foreign invader, my yeah. thyroid yeah. or my skin cells or my brain or my joints, right? All Bad the different, mojo. that's what's different between different autoimmune diseases is mm -hmm. exactly what tissue is being attacked. But everything else, this breakdown of the immune system is the same between all autoimmune diseases. So what do you do about it? So one of the things that we can do is support this part of the immune system, like the fail-safes, the mm -hmm. fail-safe part. So we can support that part of the immune system doing its job, and we can support the part of the immune system that whose job it is is to turn off the immune system. So when you look at the immune system, you know, people break it apart into different roles in different ways. I like to think of it as the attacking part of the immune system, mm -hmm. which can be specific or nonspecific, and the micromanagers, right? The people who say, hey, look, job's done, everybody go home, right? So there's this whole part of the immune system whose job it is is to rein everything in, turn off the immune system once we've you know, finished fighting that flu virus mm -hmm. off. What happens in autoimmune disease is that part of the immune system is not working very well. In fact, that actually happens in all chronic disease. So all chronic illness has sort of rampant inflammation as part of the disease, whether it's like part, whether it causes the disease or not, it's a component. Yeah. And if you can turn off the immune system, then you reduce symptoms and you mitigate disease. Mm -hmm. And in autoimmune disease, often there's additional challenges to actually getting the immune system to turn off. And a lot of those challenges come from sort of a genetic predisposition to a hyperactive immune system. Mm -hmm. But it's totally possible. And it turns out that some of the things that we can do to reign in the immune system are completely within our power. So the immune system is a tremendous nutrient hog. It uses nutrient resources to perform its functions like no other system in the human body. And it yeah. uses the full range. It uses pretty much every mineral, every vitamin, whole pile of different amino acids it, and fatty acids. And it needs all of those things. And it turns out that the stuff that we are most likely to be deficient in, like vitamin D, retinoic acid, the animal form of vitamin A, mm -hmm. zinc, magnesium, iron, calcium, those are the things that the regulatory arm of the immune system needs to work. So when you're following a standard American diet and we're deficient in those things, then, mm -hmm. oh, by the way, we're not getting enough sleep, not getting enough sleep, but is inflammatory in itself. Right. Being stressed is inflammatory in itself. Being sedentary 
living inside all the time and not spending enough time outside, Mm -hmm. those things are inflammatory. They cause inflammation. And then you throw in nutritional deficiencies, which means we don't have the nutritional resources to turn off inflammation. And then it's like this perfect storm of like, of course, we're so sick. So we can we can take back that control by following a very nutrient dense diet, by avoiding foods that are inherently inflammatory, by choosing foods to support optimal gut health, because we know that the gut microbiome plays a really critical role in how our immune systems are functioning, Right. by getting enough sleep, by improving our resilience to stress, which is a little bit different than reducing stress, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really providing our body with the mechanisms to respond in a more reined in way when we have a psychological stressor. So that's right. things like adding meditation to our lives or yoga or going out for a walk or getting enough sleep and having Mm -hmm. a nutrient dense diet, those things, right? Not relying on caffeine to keep us going throughout the day. All of those things play a role there. Being active, but avoiding really high strenuous, high intensity activity, because when you push it too hard, that's Mm -hmm. inflammatory Mm -hmm. and pulling all those things together. And suddenly you've created the opportunity for your immune system to go, Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? Yeah, I'm attacking I'll stop freaking me. out now. Oh, silly me. And so what happens is when you start pulling all those things together, you can actually turn off the attacks depending on how long you've had your disease, how aggressive you've been, your disease has been, you know, exactly how well you're implementing all of these great beneficial strategies. Some people will put their diseases in a complete remission. Mm-hmm. Some people will just slow it down. You know, there can be scar tissue, right? So if you're my, you know, my autoimmune disease went undiagnosed for about three decades. Yeah. So that means my thyroid was being attacked for about three decades. I will never be able to live without thyroid replacement hormone because mm-hmm. my thyroid is just too damaged to be able to now work at 100%. Right. But my disease isn't progressing, right? So I'm not, I'm not continuing. And one of the really important things for people with autoimmune disease to know is once you have one you have a very high likelihood of developing another one mm-hmm. about once every 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's about, on average, once you've developed one, expect one every 10 years for the rest of your life. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, I don't want another one. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's the big motivator. I'm, I'm yeah. good. I'm, I'm good stakes. with three. Three's enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's maybe four. That, but <laughs> either way, that's because I have, uh, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a suspected autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I've reached, I've reached an excellent limit. I think I'm think I'm done for my life. Yeah. I don't want another one in 10 more years. Like that's, so to me, these types of strategies then become about not just regaining health, but then maintaining that health mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives, which is why to me, I always think of it as the paleo lifestyle yes. rather than the paleo diet, in part because it incorporates actual lifestyle strategies, but mm-hmm. in part because I'm a lifer. Yeah. I have discovered how powerful the strategy is. And while there's plenty of room for me to tinker and experiment and really find that line between what my body needs to thrive versus what my body will tolerate, right? right. And finding that space in mm-hmm. between those two extremes. But I, I don't intend on ever like reverting back to something like this is right. okay. This is pretty amazing. Off of medications, feel uh, you know have energy that I've never had in my life. Have yeah. focus that I've never had in my life. You know I just feel comfortable in my body. I'm getting super strong. Like all these amazing things that are coming together. I'm not going to give that up. Yeah. So 
you talk about inflammatory foods. What did you do? You said originally you lost weight going low carb, but it wasn't until you really uh, dialed in your diet that it started to work for you and you got off those those prescriptions. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit? So there's a bunch of different aspects of that conversation. I think one of the major things was really understanding the difference between a health promoting food and a food that can undermine my health and mm. understanding nutrients rather than macronutrients, really understanding micronutrients. Yeah. So part of it was focusing my food choices on vitamins and minerals and not worrying so much about carbohydrates and fat and mm -hmm. protein grams. That was a huge part of it. I mean, we know that especially women can have very negative thyroid reactions, and I had hypothyroid disease, yeah. uh, very negative sex hormone reactions, very negative stress cortisol reactions to mm -hmm. very low carbohydrate diets, and especially when they're prolonged. Yeah. And I can see as my health was deteriorating, the evidence of that happening in my body. Right. So very low carbohydrate diets are, are not for everybody. And um, women especially tend to have these sort of counterproductive reactions. Mm -hmm. Like it's great that you're losing weight, but it's at the expense of your immune system functioning, your sex hormones regulating themselves. So it's right. expensive fertility and your moods. And if you look at, you know, if you do take an evolutionary biology approach and you do look at where you look at hunter gaps and times of fasting, that's not a good time to get pregnant. Right. Right. So you kind of go, oh, okay. Like suddenly that adaptation makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. So you're using low carbohydrate diet as a way of mimicking some of the biological effects of fasting, which mm -hmm. also means then you're going to get the biological effects of fasting. <laughs> right. So I can see that a lot of those things were why my health was continuing to deteriorate even while I was losing weight. And mm -hmm. I would, you know, it was actually probably that frustration that was one of the major turning points in my life because it forced me to think of the words thin and the words healthy as mm -hmm. not being the same thing. Right. And that up until that point in my life, I'd always assumed that if my only problem was that I was fat. And as right. long as I could lose the weight, well, then I would be healthy and not it's really recognizing. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was about getting healthy to get thin rather than getting thin to get healthy right. and having to, to turn that on its head and change the focus of what I was eating for that effect was a major part of it. And then understanding that there are compounds in foods that don't promote our health, that mm -hmm. can undermine it, that can negatively impact our hormones, negatively impact our gut health, so they can feed the wrong types of bacteria, they can impact how the gut barrier is functioning. And so our gut barrier is phenomenally important. It yeah. is what's inside. So this is one of those weird ones for people to think of. What is inside our digestive tracts is technically outside our body. Right. You can think of if we just had a straw, right? If you just had a straight tube from mouth to the other end. Yeah. You could go, okay, well, so like it's open to air here. So I open the air on the other side. <laughs> and so everything that's inside is connected to the outside, right? Mm -hmm. It's not connected to inside our bodies. And so our gut barriers have this really phenomenally important job. They, their job is to let in what we need from what's mm -hmm. inside our digestive tract, which is the nutrients, and not let in what we don't need, like all of those bacteria that are in there, mm -hmm. toxins in food, things that aren't nutrients in food. We also use our digestive tract as a way of eliminating toxic byproducts from our bodies. So, mm -hmm. for example, as our liver is processing, that's, you know, things like heavy metals and pesticides and whatever that we get exposed to, but it's also the 
toxins that we produce is just part of being aerobic uh, organisms and using oxygen for our metabolisms. Mm -hmm. We make toxic stuff because of that. I mean, and we get to be multicellular and have brains. So there's, you know, there's some benefits. Right. One of the downsides is we make a lot of toxins. And so our liver will actually shuttle after it processes those toxins, it'll shuttle it into our digestive tracts for elimination. So if we reabsorb it, that's counterproductive. Right. So we have this incredibly smart barrier that is supposed to know what to bring in and stop, you know, stop everything else from coming mm-hmm. into our bodies. And there's compounds and foods that actually can remove the ability of the barrier to actually control whether or not it's going to be open or closed. I and think that's then fascinating. you get. Isn't it? It's just, it, but it's scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's frightening um, too. So you think about the, the word leaky gut. That's exactly mm-hmm. what that means. It means that we've eaten something or stress can do this. Not getting enough sleep can do this. Yeah. Really strenuous exercise can do this. It basically hampers the ability of the digestive tract to, to be selective. And it creates doors that just stay open mm-hmm. and lets things leak into the body. That's where that term comes from. I know that many um, medical professionals hate that term, but sure. it's very descriptive of exactly what's going on. I mean, you could yeah. be technical and say increased intestinal permeability. Right. And then all of a sudden you'll get taken seriously by your doctor. Sure. But, but that's what's happening. So you're letting stuff that's not supposed to be in the body come into the body. And that's toxins. It's bacteria. We just discussed how the immune system's job is to protect us from bacteria. Mm-hmm. And even if they're good bacteria, they're good bacteria in our gut. They're not good bacteria inside our bodies. And right. so when that happens, then you're stimulating the immune system. About 70 to 80% of our immune system resides around the tissues that surround the gut because this barrier is such a important entry point for pathogens. Yeah. And so that's why we have our, our immune system is there because we know this is, you know, it's a semi-permeable barrier that means this is a place where things can get in. So we mm-hmm. better we better set up our sentries here because this is this is the war front. Mm-hmm. And so when toxins leak in, or even things like an incompletely digested protein is a toxin, we're supposed to let in. We're supposed to break apart that protein into amino acids and then mm-hmm. let in the individual amino acids. You bring in a protein, and that's not supposed to be there. Right? Yeah. Proteins can be active. Mm-hmm. Right. And if that's a protein that's supposed to be active in wheat, we don't want it doing what it does in wheat inside our bloodstream. Right. So as soon as you remove the ability of the barrier to function properly, you cause problems. And it turns out that a lot of the foods that were introduced to the human diet with agriculture, that are these foods that when you take this evolutionary biology approach, to, to diet, to create the, the template of the paleo diet. Mm-hmm. When you take this approach of just really understanding how the compounds in those foods are interacting with the human body, you come up with the same set of rules. Yeah. And it turns out that grains, especially wheat, mm-hmm. soy is terrible, peanuts are terrible. These have compounds in them that cause a leaky gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also tend to have compounds in them that are incredibly inflammatory. So there's Um, We see this in legumes, we see this in grains, and we also see this in vegetables of the nightshade family, which Mm -hmm. are typically considered paleo, but are not considered autoimmune protocol friendly. Right. And they have these compounds in them that have been investigated in scientific studies for use in vaccines to stimulate your immune system so that you will develop immunity against the dead virus in that vaccine. Wow. 
So these are compounds that are so good at turning on inflammation and turning mm-hmm. on the part of the immune system that is typically the major culprit in breaking down in an autoimmune disease. Like it's really targeted at, we're going to make antibodies now. And we see this in really high concentrations in grains, legumes, and things like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And so under starting for me, you know, really starting to evaluate foods in terms of what do they have in them that's good. So that's, you know, my nutrients, right? What the raw materials that my body needs to make more of me and, you know, the, the raw materials for all the chemical reactions that are happening in every cell in every moment. Mm-hmm. And then what is in foods that's bad? So things that are going to cause inflammation that are going to not be good for my gut health, that are going to feed the wrong kinds of bacteria in my gut, that are going to mess around with my hormones. Yeah. And then put every food on a scale. So I go, okay, how much good stuff? How much bad stuff? Okay, Mm -hmm. lots of good stuff, not very much bad stuff. Great food to eat. Other way around, I'm not going to touch that food with a 10-foot pool. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, there's this whole world of gray in the middle. And I like to describe the autoimmune protocol as, you know, paleo, we make the cutoff here, maybe here. And autoimmune protocol, we make the cutoff here. Mm -hmm. So we want more good stuff, less bad stuff. And we just kind of go with like, look, we've got a genetic predisposition that means we're more sensitive. Mm-hmm. So it's not fun, yeah. but it's reality. And it just means that we need to be more careful. And what's really fascinating to me is where lifestyle changes the formula. So we're mm-hmm. going to be more sensitive to a food that's here if we're sleep deprived or if we're right. stressed or if we're sedentary, right? And we're going to respond better to it. We're going to be more resilient to it mm-hmm. if all of those other things are in place, which is why the autoimmune protocol incorporates lifestyle aspects right into it right so it's not you're not saying no tomatoes ever you're saying get your lifestyle in order and all of a sudden your body will be able to tolerate foods that might be slightly inflammatory exactly and it's one of those things you give your give your body the opportunity to start healing Mm -hmm. right give your immune system the opportunity to start regulating itself get these other you know ducks in a row Mm mm-hmm and then play with those foods, see what happens. And some people will do very, very well reintroducing them and some people won't. So for example, when you look at the extra eliminations on the autoimmune protocol compared to a standard paleo diet, mm-hmm. it also eliminates, so it eliminates nightshades, it also eliminates nuts and seeds, um, eggs, mm-hmm. all dairy, alcohol, sadly. Right. <laughs> you know, for me, the foods that I have not ever been able to successfully reintroduce are nightshades. And eggs. And mm-hmm. I, it turns out I actually have a food intolerance to eggs, which explains that. Yeah. But nuts and seeds and the occasional glass of wine, I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. And so for me, part of my health journey was really figuring out what I needed to do to heal, what I needed to do to maintain that. Yeah. And for me, it was always about understanding why. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want to just know that eggs don't work for me. I want to understand why eggs don't work for me. Right. And so getting that base of, of knowledge in my head and then sharing it with everybody because why hold that do. just for me Yeah, and then starting to play and figuring out, right, for me, what are the lines I can't cross? Turns out tomato is one of those lines. Yeah. And I've come to terms with it most of the time. Yeah. That's so interesting. Now I, I can't believe it, but we are coming up on time. I know you've been saving up a rant on sleep. So <sighs> go. <laughs> so, so, you know, I've, I've alluded to it already a few times, just how important lifestyle factors yeah. are for health. And it's one of the things that I'm seeing really strongly within the paleo community is, you know, we're calling it the paleo lifestyle, mm-hmm. in part because 
we don't want to just do this to lose 10 pounds for a wedding. This is how we want to live the rest of our lives. And in yeah. part, because we're recognizing how important things like activity are. So you think about paleo. Now you think about an active lifestyle with a specific, you know, way of guiding food choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're starting to kind of talk a little bit about stress management and sleep, but we're not doing it. And when you look at it's sort of Western culture as a whole, we're getting about two hours less sleep every single night than we did 50 years ago. That's and nuts. You, isn't That's that crazy? a huge so difference. I did some math because, <clears throat> nerd, and um, <laughs> it actually works out to be a full month of continuous sleep every year that we wow. used to get and we don't get anymore. Yeah. So something like 60% of us do not, even hit eight hours a night ever. And we think of like eight hours as being like this, you know, golden number that we're all supposed to aim for. Mm -hmm. Most 60% of us get seven hours or less. Yeah. And seven hours is a bare minimum. When you look at hunter gatherers, you look at our understanding of sleep, what's happening in our bodies. Sleep is when our brains detoxify. Sleep is when all of these toxic metabolic products that build up in our brains, our brains are working all day. Our brains use 25% of our calories, right? Just just here, 25% mm-hmm. of our calories go to our brains doing Most all the great, amazing it. things. <laughs> Maybe 20% in some people. But no, it's all, the, it's all the amazing things our brains do all day. Yeah. But when we use calories, we produce toxic byproducts. We produce waste. Mm-hmm. But because of the magical blood-brain barrier, our brains can't eliminate the waste the way the rest of our body can. So the 80% or 75% of calories that are being used by the rest of the body, the toxic byproducts just get into the bloodstream and then they get eliminated. In the brain, it gets stored up all day. And then when we sleep, it actually, our brain cells shrink by more than half. And it allows this flow, our cerebral spinal fluid increases flow, and it allows this flushing out of our brains of all these toxic byproducts during the day. When you don't sleep enough, you don't flush those out, and you cause inflammation in the brain. Inflammation in the brain causes problems everywhere. Right. Everywhere. And so when we start to understand like what sleep does, all the effects of if you don't get enough sleep. So mm-hmm. regulatory arm of our immune system, more active when we're sleeping. Hormones are regulated when we're sleeping. Growth hormone is produced while we're sleeping. You, muscle repair happens while we're sleeping. Memory, moods. I mean, there, it's everything. It's sleep is everything. awesome. Sleep is amazing (laughs) and we don't get enough of it. And what I'm actually seeing in the community is that, you know, like I'm talking about the autoimmune protocol here, which Mm -hmm. is a phenomenal change in in food choices for most people. It locks you in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. It right. It's phenomenally limiting and restrictive for a lot of people. Don't get too scared because once you get used to it, it's fine. My but, wife is doing it right now. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, definitely a commitment. a commitment, but you can see the results right away. Which is amazing. Yeah. But you're, we're putting so much effort into changing the foods on our plate, right? We're changing mm-hmm. where we're shopping. We're spending all this extra time cooking. We're making our own freezer meals for those busy weeknights. Mm-hmm. We're making our own right, jerky and right, all these portable snacks. We've taken on that responsibility for ourselves. And then we stay up on Facebook until midnight or we watch, you know, we watch all those amazing addictive television shows that are, by the way, really scary and dramatic and get us all worked up before we go to bed. Mm -hmm. And we won't shuffle around our priorities to make sure that we're getting enough sleep. And meanwhile, 
the correlation between lack of sleep and the increases in diseases is far stronger than any food-related correlation. And when we look at the mechanisms, we can see why that's happening. Mm -hmm. So sleep is is absolutely a, a essential input to our health. So diet, yeah. of course, I'm not saying diet not important, but I'm saying you can't work on one and not the other and yeah. expect to, to get healthier or maintain your health. And so I have decided that this is this is the the message that I I really want to focus on within the paleo community right now is just mm -hmm. how phenomenally important sleep is. Um, and that there are so many different ways that we can really simply increase our sleep, increase the quality of our sleep. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we focus on that is we end up being more productive and more efficient during the day. And so you see this, right? Like Ariana Huffington is really into the sleep thing. She had a massive crash a few years ago, started getting eight hours sleep a night. And she talks endlessly about as soon as she started getting sleep, she could work less and get more done. Right. And I have certainly found that for myself. Like it's, there's a transition period in mm -hmm. which your body goes, oh wait, we're paying down some sleep debt. Okay. We're going to work on that right now. And all right. of a sudden you can't stay awake because yeah. your body's <laughs> finally going like, yes, sleep. Right. But then you get to the other side of it and you're like, I have energy all day. It improves moods. It improves immune mm -hmm. function. It improves hormone regulation, it regulates appetite regulates cravings and cravings tend to disappear. Um, it helps promote uh, weight normalization. So people who are underweight, they sleep more, they'll gain weight. People who are overweight, they'll sleep more, they lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, and it does amazing things for things like, if you get more sleep, you have a better chance of surviving cancer, for yeah. example. Like it's just, it's across the board, phenomenally important. So I created a program called Go to Bed. The reason why it's called Go to Bed is because from my perspective, the number one barrier that people have to getting enough sleep mm -hmm. is taking their bodies and putting it in their bed, <laughs> turning out the light, and turning off the television. Right? There's a lot of other yeah. nuances for things, right? Entrenching circadian rhythms and mm -hmm. providing a, a relaxing sleeping environment, sleep hygiene, hormone regulation. There's inputs from diet. There's inputs from activity. Right? There is a lot of other things that goes into sleep, um, and especially sleep quality. But the number one thing that most of us can do to get more sleep is decide to. Yeah. So I've created this 250-page ebook that <laughs> Such is an a overachiever full, right now. <laughs> full, full review of the scientific literature with uh, in terms of sleep and health because I believe in providing that science because yeah. that, for me that's my motivation, and then tons and tons of practical how-to, and then a 14-day challenge which is designed to be an iterative implementation to kind of mm -hmm. ease you into um, what I think are the, the most important habits for supporting better sleep. So it, it addresses routine, mm -hmm. like having a bedtime, but it also addresses hormone regulation and circadian rhythm entrenchment. So it's the, the, big, it's the big players from yeah. that side. With the idea that by the end of 14 days, most people are seeing a, a pretty tremendous improvement in their sleep and they're starting to get a taste for how it feels. Because we know that 14 days isn't enough time for habit formation. 21 days isn't. Uh, habit formation on average takes 66 days, right. and it varies. It can take up to about eight months before mm -hmm. repetitively performing a task becomes easy, and right. you don't have to think about it. So that two weeks is basically, it's ease you into these habits so you can get a taste of why this is important to continue. Mm -hmm. And we've created uh, Facebook and Instagram accounts that are hosting group challenges every month cool. so that you can be part of a group of people who've all decided to put sleep 
up on their to-do lists. And what we're seeing already is people are losing weight. Mm -hmm. They're seeing their appetites regulate. They're feeling more energetic. They're seeing their moods improve. Like in such a short period of time. Yeah. What I'm hoping will happen is a similar thing to how, you know, for me, I went off six prescription medications in two weeks on paleo. Like what can two weeks of better sleep do? Yeah. And, and try and bring this into our awareness as a really important input to our health. So when we say paleo lifestyle, we're going to start saying, oh, here's this template for how we eat. Here's why it's really important to be active and why we all love CrossFit. And <laughs> I also go to bed at 930 at night, right? Like I just... All of those things become part of the definition of paleo. So that is yeah. my my big my big new project that I'm really excited about. That's fantastic. Well, you have 110% of my support because I have a secret weapon and it's getting sleep pretty much every night. And that it's like going to bed early. Imagine, right? <laughs> I, and it's something, you know, I, I sometimes say like often when we're trying to work on health, we have to choose between the fun choice and the mm -hmm. good choice. Mm-hmm. So what I love is when all of a sudden the good choice becomes the fun choice. Yes, that's what I'm talking yes. about. And with when you actually are finally starting to get enough sleep and you can feel that, like all of a sudden those priorities merge. Yeah. Um, and it's the same way like when you've been on paleo diet for long enough, like walking through the bakery section at the grocery store suddenly doesn't feel tempting. There's this moment no. where – yeah, like right. all of a sudden it kind of smells vaguely of urine and you're like, did it always <laughs> smell vaguely of urine? Because <laughs> – it doesn't smell like something I want to put in my mouth. Right. But it, it takes a while to hit that that point. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, the priorities align. And you go, okay, fun choice equals apple. Yeah. <laughs> right? And like, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I am so happy to be in the produce section in the grocery store instead yeah. of that stinky bakery section. And the same thing happens with sleep where all of a sudden you're like, I can't wait to go to bed and be in sleep because yeah. – uh, that's what I feel like doing right now. And I know I'm going to feel amazing tomorrow. Totally. And it's, um, you know, nothing good happens after 9 PM anyway, <laughs> you know, for most people, right? No. You're watching zombie TV shows and yeah. just wasting your time on Facebook. It's just a lot of, a lot of blood on TV after 9 PM. It really is. And, yeah. but, but if you wake up, like I watched the sunrise this morning and like that might not seem fun at first, right? But if you get in the rhythm of doing that, it's just like the best thing ever every single day. And so like, you're totally right about what the way that you define fun changes, especially yeah. when you get in the habit of acting in, in your future best interest, which is really what it's all about. When feeling good becomes so much more rewarding than mm -hmm. anything else, right? Like what can compete with feeling good? Yeah. Nothing, nothing. Exactly. So then all of a sudden you go, well, this makes me feel good and this is what I'm going to do. So I, I, to me, I feel like we need to incorporate a lot more focus on lifestyle factors into the paleo movement in order to really achieve what the whole goal of this movement is, yeah. is optimal long-term health. Exactly. Awesome. Well, we're out of time, but please tell folks where they can find you, what you're working on now. Uh, you can find me and everything I do at www.thepaleomom.com. And from there, you can link to Go to Bed. Um, you can link to The Paleo Approach, The Paleo Approach Cookbook, Healing Kitchen, my podcast, The Paleo View, my television show pilot, Paleo Bites, all of my social media sites, and any new projects I ever take on. Awesome. And you still get sleep. And still get sleep. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Ballantyne, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. You're welcome back yeah. anytime. I would love that. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Wild Superfoods and listeners like you. 
Whether you're looking to drop a few pounds, maximize performance for your next competition, or simply stay young and energetic, you need a name you can trust. That's why my wife Allison and I created Wild Superfoods. Our nutraceuticals and cutting-edge health supplements are literally the products we've been taking ourselves daily to upgrade our nutrition and optimize our health for the past three-plus years. And we're extremely excited to say Wild Superfoods is finally ready for you, with much more to come. When you buy from Wild Superfoods, you're supporting a small family business, not a massive faceless corporation. We don't have any investors or stockholders to please, so our priority is you. We want to help you become as healthy as you possibly can be. Also, starting our own family company, it's kind of cool, has made it so we can create these shows for you without outside sponsors clouding our message of health. So if you believe in what we do, please check out Wild Superfoods. We think you'll dig it. And as a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can save over $80 on a one-time purchase or save over $128 when you select the subscribe and save option. Also, you can get free access with subscribe and save to our Fat Burning Tribe coaching and meal planning community. That place is awesome. I'll see you in there. It's usually at least $27 a month. So check out Subscribe and Save from Wild Superfoods if you want to get the tribe for free. We think you'll like it. So all you have to do is head on over to wildsuperfoods.com to order your very own health-boosting goodies for a big-time discount. One more time, that's wildsuperfoods.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening to Fat Burning Man. Don't forget, before you go, check out fatburningtribe.com. If you have a question for me that you want answered about how to improve your performance, what to eat for dinner, how to drop fat quickly, how to improve your overall health, or anything else, we answer all of your questions there. So quickly, you can get the first month for just $1 for a limited time. Check it out at fatburningtribe.com. All right, I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you, and if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or FatBurningMan. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com I'll give you a second to type it in fatburningman.com and you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man better yet enter your best email at fatburningman.com sign up for my newsletter and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now. Enter your best email to get your free fat-burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.